Hello and welcome to episode four of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I am a speaker and trainer with the Pinot Training Group, where we seek to build confidence in individuals, connection among teams, in order to create powerful peak performance and positive team cultures. With this show, I am producing what I love to listen to in a podcast. I've said it on some of the shows. I am a huge podcast fan. This has been a bucket list item and a dream for me to publish my own podcast. And so I'm producing what I like to listen to. Number one, I love a long form deep conversation with an interesting and successful person, especially someone that maybe I had never heard of before that I get to meet in some way through the podcast medium. And I love taking great notes to implement some new tools from the people I get to meet via the podcast I listen to. And in listening to these long form conversations, I often do it on a plane ride, on my commute, in a car, uh, while working, if I'm doing something that I can just have a podcast on in the background. And so I love to go back through the episodes to take my notes. So in order to help you take great notes and implement without having to go back through the episodes, episode four of this show is a best of February episode. I have taken the best stories and tools from Harry, Christine, and Joe and put them into one episode. My plan is to do this at the end of every month to create what I consider to be the best of both worlds. You get to meet these incredible people by listening to their episode and you get to be reminded of the lessons they taught in this best of episode. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for you to take great notes and implement with this episode four. So far this month, we have had over 1,000 unique episode plays of the show, and we are continuing to receive wonderful ratings and reviews. Please, if you have not done so already, leave us a rating and review and share the show with those in your world who might enjoy it and benefit from listening to it. Last thing before we dive into episode four is a simple plug for the work we do at the Pinot Training Group. In my last intro, I mentioned Ryan and I had just led two of our Heart of a Leader trainings in his hometown of Brighton, Michigan. Well, we are looking to do so again in April. If you are interested in your own personal development and growth, and you're interested in learning more about the experiences we do, I'm here to tell you this experience is unlike any other. And and you can really, the best way to learn more is to connect with us. Direct message me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter, or fill out a contact form at Pen- traininggroup.com. That's P-E-N-N-E-A-U, traininggroup.com. We'd love to host you at one of our future events. And if you have a team or an organization that is interesting, interested in going through our Heart of a Team event or having Ryan or myself speak at one of your future events, please let us know. Reach out, connect. We'd love to share a little bit more insight into the work that we do. With all that being said, my three guests today need no introduction for you. If they do, please go back and listen to their episodes. There is so much you will pull from listening to their entire story and the entire conversation we had in this episode. We are simply pulling the best of the best from those conversations so that you can take fantastic notes and continue to learn and grow from these three brilliant, successful people. Enjoy pulling the best of the best from my cups of coffee with Harry Swain, Christine Trippi, and Joe Segula.
they're not even fully mentally, the brain isn't even fully developed yet, mm-hmm. right? They hadn't gotten to uh, 26 years old where the, the amygdala is completely forming so that the consequences of their decisions make sense. Uh, off yeah, I, the field. I, I'm, I'm, you know, there's the kind of the maturity of the brain too. So mm-hmm. you could be 25 with the maturity of a 20 year old, or you could be 25 with the maturity of a 30 year old. It can mm-hmm. swing in either direction. Yep. And as we think about people in our lives, I think many of us can start to place that. Mm-hmm. When I heard that, it started to make a lot of sense to me with the folks I worked with. Yeah. And, and that, so if you keep that, I mean, you could have a, you could have a 20 year old coming in to the NFL with mm-hmm. the maturity of a 15 year old. And you look at them and say, why are they still acting like a kid? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, because maybe they are right. maturity wise, yeah. their own brain development. Yeah. But that uh, makes it harder too, right? You have like this brilliant athlete and he's a brilliant, uh, immature person. And then, so they set the standard and then we expect all others to mm-hmm. follow after that high standard. Mm-hmm. And that's even unfair. Yeah. So in, in many ways we don't allow them to be 22, 23, 24 year olds, mm-hmm. right? Second, third year as a professional. What I've come to appreciate about learning from Harry is how he approaches athlete development and personal development with a science mind and a science background. Harry is by no means a psychologist. I am by no means a psychologist, but both of us have done enough reading and research into the people that we work with that so much so that I have really appreciated this conversation that he brought up in regards to the development of the young brain. As he says, if the, if the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex of the brain is not fully developed in a young person, then that, that is the part of the brain that makes rational decisions and, and controls emotions and, and things like that. And so it's very relevant to keep in mind, number one, when dealing with young athletes, but also dealing with young professionals that you're bringing onto your culture. It doesn't mean that you give these individual excuses but it does mean you understand where they are in their own personal growth and development. And this is something that Harry does incredibly well. As you probably heard from his entire interview, he is an individual that approaches athlete development from and, and personal development from a very human perspective. We are dealing with human beings that have their own challenges and, and, and opportunities for growth and areas to improve on. And he sees it as his role specifically in player development, but even now in the world that he's transitioning to into human resources to help people in that development. So I loved that conversation about the amygdala and it leads us into the next clip that I'm going to play, which is when I asked Harry, how do you, when you have a high performance culture, such as Harry was a part of with the Baltimore Ravens, how do you bring in a peak performance individual, someone who has been at the top of their craft at the college game, or maybe even at another NFL team, and you're bringing them into your culture, how do you bring them into your culture? And what he talks about is something I was able to experience when I was in the room with the rookies when Harry was presenting to them. And it's a really powerful moment that that, that Harry does with every rookie class. And so how, going back to what you said earlier too, you know, you're bringing on, you have this culture that is created to allow players to go above and beyond and you're bringing on new employees every year Mm -hmm. that are the best at what they do from the teams that they played at. And you made a, you made a comment of 
that's a challenge too of bringing these individuals in and bringing them into an already established culture when they maybe led the culture where they came from. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? How do you bring these folks into an already established high performance culture, Mm -hmm. especially when they have a mindset of, I've already got this figured out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, in a lot of ways, uh, we, one of the first things we tell them, uh, one is congratulations. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I really like to detail out all the things they had to overcome to get here. Like some stories are unbelievable. Uh, Some are just, there's no way you should even be here, son. And everything in between. And that has to be said, that has to be voiced, uh, right? Uh, They need to see the value in all the steps it took to get there. I want to jump in again here, and this is what I'm going to be doing with this best of February episode and planning to do for the rest of the season. So please let me know in the in the comments, in messaging me, how you enjoy this format in addition to just the long form interview that we publish. But I do want to jump in here because the story that Harry is telling, I was able to be a part of, as I've mentioned before, for I believe it was last season's rookie class. When I first met Harry, I was I, I reached out to him through, quite frankly, a connection of a connection who who I continued to say I was I'd met some folks in LA and then in Miami who were involved in the NFL and player development. And and would talk to them on the phone and continue to say, I'd love to meet someone in person. I'm a huge believer in that is how you create relationships, which has happened to be true with Harry. So they said, you know, Harry Swain is is your local player development director for the Ravens since I live in the Baltimore area. And, and in addition to that, he's one of the best in the business. So I got connected to Harry. And after meeting once, I was just really interested in learning more about how he does what he does, how he connects with these. NFL players and 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 what he is teaching them when they enter the league. So he invited me to quite frankly be a fly on the wall for the first day that the rookies show up. Many of them had literally just landed in BWI airport, picked up by someone in the NFL, or maybe they got an Uber or a Lyft over to the practice facility. And I'm in the practice facility meeting these individuals as they come in the door. And and I remember sitting in the seats in this in this venue and it's a theater style venue and the seats are purple and black with the Baltimore Ravens logo on it and the the walls and ceiling are decorated to make it feel like you're on the field in M&T Bank Stadium so there's pictures of you know the the seats and fans around you there's the sky above you and there's a turf field down below so it's decorated to make you feel like you're you're on the field for an NFL football game and at the front of the room on a drop down screen was the most recent Super Bowl championship ring that the Ravens had won spinning, an image of it spinning in a circle um, just just right there for every player when they walk in to remind you of the success of this program. And within seconds, Harry gets up there. Once everyone's in there, Harry gets up and starts talking and does what he described in this clip where he congratulates each and every player for simply being in the seat that they're in. And under, you must understand that some of these players, many of these players might 
might not actually end up playing a game in the NFL. Maybe they've been drafted or maybe they've just been then invited to try out or, or made it through the combine or whatever it is. I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert in the details of professional leagues, but I do know that many of the players in the room, there's no guarantee they're ever going to play a game in the NFL. And even the players that might play, Harry lets them know pretty quickly the average NFL career is about three and a half years. So before he does any of that, though, he really makes clear you are a success simply because you're here. You are a success because you've been invited to be in this room. You are in a room and in a position that that the majority of individuals on this earth will never get an opportunity to be in. And I remember sitting there in those seats, kind of laughing to myself, thinking, and I, I I'm not I'm not playing in the NFL, but I have the opportunity to sit in those seats as a guy who played Division Two and club lacrosse in college. And for me, I was moved by it just to be in the room with Harry. So I I can only imagine what it was like for those players and I think it was an incredibly it was a moving moment for them and I love how in this interview Harry ties it into just onboarding and personal uh, development and and training for anybody if you're bringing in new hires you're bringing in college freshmen you're bringing in new players to your club or high school team congratulate them and celebrate them for that level of success too often we wait for the big victory to celebrate people. Let's celebrate people just for being a part of our organization. And that also creates some pride right off the bat for being a part of your organization. I think this is related to a point Harry makes later that I'll play the clip of where he says, when you go into a Super Bowl, acknowledge that you are a champion just for being there. If you win the Super Bowl, now the rest of the world knows you're a champion, but you're a champion just for being there, for, for doing the work to get there. And the same is true here. You've made it to the NFL, celebrate yourself now, and, and of course, keep, keep pushing and grinding for more, but celebrate yourself now. And I know I've talked about it longer than Harry even did, but it was a moving moment for me. I wanted to paint the picture for you so you can fully understand how Harry does this, why he does it, and the power that it has for these young people joining the Ravens and the power it can have for the young people that you manage, you oversee, you get to coach, you hire, you recruit and bring on your team. Congratulate them for becoming a part of the team that you lead because the team that you lead is something to be celebrated. The Super Bowl is nothing but a game uh, that just lets uh, everybody else around the world know that you're a champion. You already are. You do not need the Super Bowl game and win it to to crown yourself champion do that before the game please <laughs> right settle it in your mind that i'm the best in the world because i'm the best in the world and of the best we are the best there's only one other set of individuals that you can uh, can argue that this season at this time mm -hmm. and that's the other team we're playing so let me go ahead and go you know what i'm a champion champions are not just made after the whistle is blown and they have one more point than the other team. You're telling me that that team that lost the Super Bowl aren't champions themselves? There's no way. Yeah. And so once you get that out of the way, right, now you can literally just walk in the booth that you just sat in front of you uh, as a champion. Then you will have a more realistic expectation about how this game will go. Mm -hmm. Right. You always want to be dictating uh, your conduct, your behavior through your thoughts. Right. I always like to think that your thoughts are uh, the script. Right. And 
if you're the actor, hey, just remember your lines, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, so the only thing I'm really fighting against is stinking thinking. <laughs> yeah. Right. Your thoughts are the script. Your thoughts are the script. Just remember the lines. Yes. You're the actor. Remember the lines. Yeah. Right. It's not a hard thing to do because you have written the script. I just want people to write more hopeful ones, uh, more accurate ones, more realistic ones. Right. So that they line up with their goals. What I love about my conversation with Harry in regards to the mental performance side of the game, whether it's writing your script or the visualization that he's going to talk about in this next clip, is the personal responsibility that he takes for his performance on the field and off the field. Obviously, he's going to get into some granular details about the mental mental training, mental preparation that he did before a game. And I want you to notice the words that he uses really indicate he is taking and did take over his entire career 100% personal responsibility for his preparation and how he showed up for every single game. So my pregame really was just going over in my mind every nuance of the defender that I would be. Uh, going against. Mm -hmm. It was the same. Uh, And my notes were much different from the notes my coach had. Like he had one level of what needed to be done for success, but I had another two notches deeper than that, Mm -hmm. right? They would hand us the game plan, but we all had offensive linemen had another more specific personal game plan, uh, right? Based on our own personal individualized film study. Right. And was that so, on your own accord or were the coaches? Yes, definitely on my own accord yeah. or extrapolated from the information that he gave. Yeah. Putting those together. So true professionals do that. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like the professor. Uh, his job is to give us the information. Right. The student's job is to apply it mm-hmm. for the professional. Uh, we're just applying it uh, at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Big difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got to work. It's because it counts. And so that's my routine. Uh, it's all mental before the game. Physical work is done. Uh, it's all mental. I'm thinking through in my mind how plays will go. Mm-hmm. I am uh, giving myself a vision of how things will go. And I'm keeping it as realistic as possible. Like Derek Thomas is a really good player. He probably will get on my edge. Mm-hmm. It may look like it's over and he could get a sack but I got a split second to get one more nudge in and then hope the quarterback steps up and that's how it goes. Then the power of that is you're not leaning on the visualization to create the peak performance. You Mm -hmm. have done the work. You've done the practice. You've done the physical work. Mm -hmm. You're acknowledging that your mind could get in your way. And so it's getting your mind out of your way. That's it. That's uh, that's the difference between uh, performers and high performance performers in any industry. Uh, it's how you deal with the mistake, how you deal with your own inadequacy, how you deal with uh, your weaknesses, how you deal with uh, who you're not as of yet, mm-hmm. uh, how you deal with your rookie status, uh, how you deal with your lack of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's what makes pros. That's, that, that's how you get to your second contract. It has nothing to do with your strength, your athletic ability, it has everything to do with the six inches between your ears. Mm-hmm. That is the National Football League. That's the NBA. That's Major League Baseball. That's big time soccer in Europe. 
To wrap up this interview, Harry and I move from the conversation of personal responsibility for your results to the conversation of the power of connection and team cohesion and the value of team development in creating results as an organization and as a team. And Harry shares some powerful points that only an individual with his experience and his success can share with such conviction about why connecting with people matters. Uh, I come from a place that says uh, in order to really find the treasure in people, you got to first get to know them, uh, right? And to discover that there's some untapped treasure in them, mm-hmm. right? Everybody has uh, this treasure in them. Too many people aren't even tapping into it yet, but it's there. Uh, typically, somebody sees it before them, like, that's a young woman of promise. She has so much going for her, but you never really say what it is because you hadn't spent time with them to discover it, right? And it's you got to b- spend time with them because it's a with thing. It's a uh, it's a it's a it's a two people together thing, right? You know what? You're really good at at such and such. I heard what you said. Really, I never thought about that. You, you hear those conversations all the time, mm-hmm. and so those are two people mining for treasure, mm-hmm. right? And so once we can start to have that conversation, uh, then we uh, are going down the avenue called, man, I think I have some untapped uh, skills and abilities that I never even realized I did before. I think I may, uh, you know what, I may change departments and take another uh, track to my career. There it goes. Trust me, there's like, for any industry, any company, there is a quote unquote Super Bowl for that business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but. It's the people uh, really that uh, take companies to where they've never been before, mm-hmm. right? And it's not necessarily the smartest or the brightest ones. It is uh, like the cohesion of a group uh, committed to one common cause. And it doesn't even have to be all the employees. All the Super Bowls I've won, there was a nucleus of about seven to eight guys on the team that carried the other 60. And it's just how it works better that way, mm-hmm. right? We all had the same message, right? Maybe eight different perspectives, but at the core, it was the same. We were united. We had co- cohesion and synergy. Departments that have that, uh, they blow it out of the box. They yeah. have incredible numbers, and they have a great time doing it, no matter how tough and challenging it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read one in the world of team development. There's the 10-80-10 principle, mm-hmm. which you and I have talked about. The top mm-hmm. 10% of any team are your natural-born leaders, those who are uh, uh, peak performers, those who are – you don't have to sell them on these ideas. Mm-hmm. The lower 10% are your sticks in the mud, mm-hmm. the challenging individuals, the folks that don't want to get on board, the folks that in a workplace are just there to work uh, nine to five and mm-hmm. that's it. Um, on a team, I've worked with athletes before who yep. say, I'm just here to play. I'm not here to be friends with anybody. Mm-hmm. And maybe not even there to win. They're right. just there to play. Mm-hmm. And then the middle 80% are who you're trying to, they can get influenced to the bottom or yes. the top. And so how do you pull them to the top? One way or another. 
Speaking of the 10-80-10 principle of team development, my second interview of the season was with Christine Trippi, formerly the Senior Manager of Operations and self-proclaimed Director of Fun for Marriott and currently the Chief Fun Officer, founder of The Wise Pineapple and the author of the book, Yes is the Answer. And in our conversation, we talked about the hiring process, looking for individuals that, number one, fit your culture culture, but also individuals that can grow into your culture. In 108010, you're not always going to recruit or hire or find those top 10%. Part of team development is to say, let's take those 80% and bring them to the top. And I believe part of team development is saying, if we have individuals in the lower 10%, they're not bad people. How can we do everything in our power to get them on board? And if we can't get them on board, Maybe it's simply because our team, our organization is not where they are going to thrive best. And my conversation with Christine dives into this idea in a really cool way with stories from her 30 plus years of experience in hospitality. I meet people from all over the world every single day and I do get to change the world one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of transitioned for me for my yes stories. Um, and I share a, a, a very special story in the book. And so when I'm hiring people and I tell them that story, if I don't see a reaction or a connection to that, then to me, that's not the person I want on my team. I you want, tell them I want your story. You no, know, well, the, I usually tell both. I tell the starfish story yeah. and then maybe I'll, exp uh, I'll tell a story that, um, like a real life story that we do on, on property. Oh, sure. And if I don't see any connection, I know that's not the person I want on my team. I want difference makers. I want people who have this purpose to change the world. Wow. But then when I share that cute little story, but with what we really do every day, and which there's a story in, in the book, and I could tell you hundreds of them yeah. in my 30-year career, um, it's, it, that's when you really make the connection. Yeah, it, whether it's a compliment, whether it's helping a make-a-wish kid, mm -hmm. it, you get to change the world every day. Mm -hmm. And if you, what, what, you know, when I have housekeepers that are driving to work going, oh, I've got to clean 18 rooms, or whose world do I get to change today? That's a shift you can't buy. Mm -hmm. That is, that's, you know, when you can give your associates a purpose, a greater purpose than we just don't punch a clock and serve food and check people in and clean rooms. We get to change the world every day. Mm -hmm. That's when you make people excited yeah. and their heart pounds to come into work and, and do that. Yeah. And when I would show uh, my housekeepers, you know, they're they're one of the the last people that thinks that they're a customer facing associate, which they're really not. But when I took over um, one of the first hotels that I took over housekeeping. And I was like, oh, housekeeping. I almost didn't take that job because I'm like, that's not very sexy. Yeah. Oh, I was a front office girl, right? <laughs> and I, I want to be with the guests. But then when I saw how I can impact the guests through the room, it was um, it ended up being my favorite part of my job. Yeah. I loved serving my housekeepers. Can that attitude, in your opinion, this kind of idea, because like you said, when you're so if a manager is listening to this, is this more of a hiring thing or a training thing? It's both. Okay. And I will tell you this. One, like I said, when I'm interviewing people and I'll and I'll and I see potential and then I, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna take it that far. And like I said, if I see that connection, I know this is the person I want on my team. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much you know, I don't care how much experience I can teach you 
any of that stuff. Yeah. I can't teach you to want to change the world or want to make a difference to people. And so uh, that's, that's what I'm looking for, that's the hard, person that yeah. connects there. One of the consistent things I heard that week that Christine's interview was dropped was people commenting on just how much they loved her energy. And I think a lot of that has to do with just how genuine that energy is for her. And I want to emphasize this right now because Christine mentions, you know, you want to show your people a greater purpose, like really understand the greater purpose of this team or organization, whether that's business or sports. And for her, this concept that as a hospitality representative, as someone working at a hotel, you get to change the world one guest at a time. That is not a cliche for Christine. Hopefully that came through in this conversation. That is very real for Christine. So if you are looking to apply this principle to your team, your job, your, your organization, your players, whatever it might be, ensure that that purpose for you is genuine. That greater purpose of, hey, maybe it is changing the world with what you get to do. If it's genuine, people will feel that and that will come across. And when you're looking for those individuals to hire, you can tell for Christine that it's almost, I don't want to say it's easy, it's not, but it's almost simple for her because she's looking for individuals that connect to the stories that she shares in regards to this concept of changing the world one guest at a time. Up next, Christine and I talk about the power of positive attitude and how what you put out into the world is what comes back to you. And I, I love this conversation because there are obviously a lot of folks talking about this idea in many different ways. And I personally love how Christine talks about it and how she applies it to her world. You treat your guests and your associates how you uh, think about them. Mm -hmm. And if all you're doing is reading snark after snark after snark, it, it, it makes me really sad that these people are taking care of our guests. They were like talking about how, um, you know, like oh, the customer sucks and that this sucks and you know, like all that, and and how they're always rude to the associate. And my whole point is, if this is what you're always getting from your customer, then you need to look in the mirror and see what energy you're putting out yeah. because you're gonna get what you put out. So we need to look at ourselves first mm -hmm. before we blame all the customers for being ignorant or, <laughs> or, okay. um, or not knowing how to travel or yeah. you know, whatever that yeah. might be. Anyways, it makes me sad, and, and I refuse to do that in my groups. I, I, I make room for a little fun, sure. right? A little fun, what we do. It's never very negative at all, but just funny. And um, I only will do that once every Saturday. Saturday hospitality humor, and that's it. Yeah. Because I'm, I don't want this to be competition who can out-snark no. each other. No, and, and what yeah. I like it, I, I think there is, and you talk about this in your book that we'll get to, and, and this concept of, you know, what you put out, you get back. And it's mm -hmm. not always the, you know, people look at it as the law of attraction or the mm -hmm. secret or whatever. And, and I think I have found people get too bogged down into that conversation of the law of attraction. I love the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And I think people get too bogged down in thinking like, okay, so I want a beach house in, in the Keys, so I'm just right. gonna meditate on it every morning, and hopefully I get a beach house in the Keys. Right. And that's not, and from my perspective, that's not the law of attraction. Right. The law of attraction is uh, it, what I just described to you. If I've, I've had a, a long day getting here, I had a long weekend, mm -hmm. I wake up early, I take a ferry, then an Uber, then uh, get to the hotel, and I'm, and I'm taking care of, uh, I got 99 un unread emails, yeah. and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And when, when 
when I see you coming down the hallway with a smile and excitement and I bring that same to you, then we mm -hmm. create that, that that's positive energy. That's right. not denying our problems and our challenges of our day. We both can talk about them, but mm -hmm. that's not where we're going to put our energy. Customer service. Yes, the people behind the desk have lives too. Mm -hmm. And and so do your customers coming in. If a customer's pissed off coming in, God knows what they went through mm -hmm. on their way to getting to that desk. Exactly. And how can your job, quite literally, is to is to be that, to turn that it positive around. energy for them. Right. I love the the quote, um, being positive in a negative situation isn't being Oh, I forget what the word they used, but isn't being um, naive, naive, it's being a leader. So yeah, that's good. There's gonna be negative situations all day long. Yeah. <laughs> but it's you know how you respond to those negative situations, how you can turn them around, and and you know sometimes negative things happen and ends up being the blessing of a lifetime. And to add tremendous credibility to what Christine just shared about positivity, she then gets into her journey and how it wasn't a straight and linear path. It wasn't it, it wasn't without challenges and hiccups and and a random layoff. And and she didn't go to a big college. She started in community college, which she'll talk about in this next clip. Which is something I am uh, particularly excited to share in this podcast because my my first job after my college experience was working at a community college and coaching lacrosse at a community college and just being able to share that individuals like a Christine Trippy who made it to the highest level of her career at an organization such as Marriott and is now consulting at the highest level and speaking on stages such as Caesars Palace in Las Vegas and, and selling her book to, to hotels across the country that that an individual like her got there through having a positive attitude in at many times negative situations where she didn't know what the end result was going to be or what her next step was going to be. I didn't, I, I didn't graduate from a big four-year college. I went to a community college and I did that much later. Um, so, you know, college, I didn't go to, I didn't go to college right out of high school or any of that. I honestly, in high school thought, oh, I'm going to be a waitress. And one day I'm going to work myself up to banquet waitress. And I, I, I really did not have any bigger aspirations. I, I was a great student. So yeah. I didn't think that all the, you know, and I started, and this is what I tell every one of my classes that in hospitality, all you need is to have a great attitude and great effort mm. and those are the only two things really in life we have control over how yeah. you show up and how much effort you're going to give something and every single step of the way i showed up with a great attitude i never said that's not my job i said i'll do it i'll do it i'm, I'm always saying i'll do it i have no idea how i'm going to do it <laughs> i go and figure it out yeah and i and i'm excited to learn and i'm not afraid to say you know what and i had to learn this a little bit um in the beginning especially that um, I'm okay not knowing and I'm okay making a mistake and mm. going, okay, let me start over here. Um, so that was a hard lesson to learn, but I've learned that well. But it's, it's just, you know, as I learn better, I do better. Learn and do better is certainly something Christine has done in her 30 plus years of working in the field of hospitality. And as I've shared, she is now 
consulting and teaching what she has learned and done over her 30 plus year career with The Wise Pineapple and her book, Yes is the Answer. These next few clips, we dive into conversations about what she's teaching, the principles that are in her book, and how you can apply it to your world, whether it's in hospitality or outside of it. And in particular, we have a conversation about the value of confidence, which I think is a really important conversation in context of this entire interview because Christine has shared her rocky journey and her moments of insecurity and how she doesn't always have it all figured out, but that doesn't mean she doesn't have confidence that she is going to figure it out. And that to me is a very important nuance. Confidence is a feeling that you are trusting yourself to get the job done, which is something Christine has consistently done and is now has taught others to do and is now focused 100% on teaching others to do and shares in these next few clips. When I listen to those three things and I have my wise pineapple and when I was thinking about it, stand tall is all about being confident and everything I teach about is being confident and standing tall. And then, you know, wear a crown. That's about being empowered. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing I'm always talking about is being empowered and how to create empowered work work cultures. Yeah. And then the, the number one thing I talk about is changing the world one yes at a time. Yeah. And being sweet, lead from the heart. So yeah. it all fits so perfectly. So every keynote, every workshop is all formed around being confident, empowered, and leading from the well, heart. Well, I want to, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You'll see me looking at my notes with this one because I do want to go. Yeah, I that's love. Good. Yeah. So I, I would love to know what is why does the one that stood out to me the most, being a non-hospitality person, was the be confident part. Why yeah. is being confident important in hospitality? Oh my God, it's so important. It, honestly. I'll give you an example. The whole yes is the answer. The first part is to make friends first. Um, and when you have to say to somebody, no, I'm sorry, unfortunately, I, you know, I talk about this, your body language, you start to shrink. Your voice gets little measly, weaselly, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you don't have any confidence. But what I want you to be able to do is stand tall and be mm -hmm. confident and be empowered to give that yes answer. And, and really, if you're leading from the heart, you want to help that guest and you right. want to give that yes answer. Um, and I share how you go through the four steps to always say yes and how you can yeah. do that. But, um, but how do you instill? So if you get a new hire at Marriott and are you looking for con again, going back to the hiring? Yes, obviously you want someone, but like, mm -hmm. are there folks that you look at and say they would be fantastic? They have the heart. They're empowered. The confidence was, is what they need work on. Do yeah. you hire them, and how do you build that confidence in them? I do, and and again, again, it just kind of depends. If you're the person, I literally can't even get you to look at me. You sure, know? No, maybe yeah, not. That's not gonna be a good or, interview. Ma or maybe I'm gonna be. You're gonna be great at on um, on the phones in the back, or you know, something right, like that. You right. know, there might be a, a spot for you, but um, I can tell you, you know, opening up Keelan Cove Water Resort. I operationally, I did a lot of things at the resort, but operationally, I ran the Funtivity Center, which was all the guest experience, you know, the projects and the, the game shows and stuff. And then I ran the arcade. Nearly every associate that I hired was their first job. They were 16 years old. And I, you know, I think of Rihanna offhand, um, all of my young girls that they were 16 as their first job. And we had, to, we, I mean, we had some, some rough guests at Key Lime too. It was rough. Um, but there'd be people that are bringing their outside food in the middle of our dining, dining room, you know, and we would have to be the ones to tell them, you know, that that's not okay. But again, using yes as the answer, I was able to share with them how to be confident and stand tall rather than be like, oh, right. you know. Apologizing yes. for 
Yes, and to and watch these 16-year-old the girls and boys that have never had a job, never dealt with problem resolution, never had to do any of these things, become these strong, able um, leaders. Yeah. Honest to God, it was um, the highlight of my career. It's honestly, the whole book stems from my largest failure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, when I went out, I read an article, and I went out, and I tried to duplicate it, and it completely failed. And I'm like, why did it fail? And the reason it fails is because all these managers out there tell their associates, yes is the answer. But they've never taught them how to so say So you read an article yes. about this idea, yes, yes. is the answer. Exactly. You tried to implement it. And I tried to duplicate it, and yeah. it all was a How did you value. try? Do you remember some of your Oh, yeah, I remember it all. Flat on your yeah. face stories? And, yeah. Yo, yeah, well, I mean, just I, I, I launched the, the, the rally and the concept and everything, like I read in the, the story, mm-hmm. and then it all failed. And, and, I, and I always ask my audience, you know, um, what do you think happened after I did all this great stuff? And they all think, you know, great things happened. I'm like, no, nothing happened because it's not enough to just tell your associates yes is the answer. You have to teach them how to say yes yeah. because it's not easy. When you don't, for example, I'll give you a great example. Um, in, uh, platinum members at a courtyard hotel, part of their benefits of their program is not breakfast. So breakfast is not included as part right. of their benefits Platinum of being an elite don't member. Get breakfast, right. Exactly, at a courtyard hotel. Yeah. Yet. All the time we get uh, a platinum member saying, "Hey, I'm platinum. Don't I get free breakfast?" Yeah. And it's like, how do you say yes to that? You know. Right. So right. I go through the whole steps on how you say yes. And your steps are well. So uh, you mean the four? Mm-hmm. So the the <laughs> make friends first. Tell them what you can do, offer options, and then magical question. Is that the? Uh, well, part? that's part of offer options, and okay. then be creative. Be creative. Okay, exactly. Right, right, right. Okay. So there's, I really, through my career of stumbling and falling and trying to figure out how to always say yes, and you know, like I tell somebody to say yes is the answer, but how do I tell, right, how do I right, teach right. somebody that? Um, then I um, came to realize it's really just four steps. And so that's what I really debrief in the book. And so how, how do you, to come to if, that. They, if they, if you don't have breakfast and they want breakfast, how do you mm-hmm. say yes to that? So great question, Bobby. <laughs> so for, first and foremost, the first um, option or first step is to make friends first. We are always so filled with anxiety over that no question that's coming at us that we just blurt out. No, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, mm. that's not a clue. You know, and you just, and then it's like, Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it's not a good experience. Right. So it's to take a breath and make friends first. It is so simple. And it, and honestly, sometimes you say it and people might, might immediately think, oh, that's ridiculously simple. But that's the number one thing where people go wrong mm. is they just jump into that um, either no, unfortunately, or whatnot. You don't build the relationship. Um, so again, if I were to say, "Oh, thank you so much for being a Platinum Elite member. Your loyalty means so much to us," it's gonna be a lot harder to yell at me mm-hmm. <laughs> after mm-hmm. I just said that, right? right? So you're building this relationship. So again, how I might handle that back in the day, because now we've got some other options. But right now, back in the day, I said, you know, I would say, "Thank you so much for being a Platinum Elite member. Your loyalty means so much to us. Part of your Elite benefits." At a courtyard is um, 250 uh, arrival points, and you get to choose a market item. Um, however, I can place breakfast right on your room for you. Does that work for you? You know. So again, I can stand tall. I can be yeah. confident. I can be excited to serve this guest rather than go. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have breakfast with your. Pa-. You know. Yeah. You know, and just.
Our conversation about confidence in regards to customer service moved into a question that I asked about sarcasm. In the world of coaching, I have started to embrace and work hard at a no sarcasm rule. I acknowledge that I'm not perfect at it. We just had our first week of middle school across this past week. And again, being back with the kids and the players, I find myself going to it. Not always in a harmful way. I'm not black and white with a lot of these rules. This this we do not we do not live in a vacuum and so certainly there's time and space for sarcasm but i love the conversation that we have here christine and i in regards to how sarcasm can be detrimental to her world in regards to employee engagement as well as customer service and i think no matter what industry you're in you can take examples from here and apply it to your world to start to appreciate and understand the time and the place for sarcasm when you're using sarcasm to genuinely connect it's fine if you're using sarcasm because you don't have the confidence to be sincere then that's a moment that i challenge you to say how can i be sincere in this moment instead of always going to the joke so I did a series of webinars for U.S. lacrosse, and it was about this, what they call the psychosocial side of the game and, mm. and very focused on coaching development and, and building effective team cultures. And one of the, I would call it, most controversial things I said, it's only controversial because <laughs> this is what I get pushed back on, is I said you should have a no sarcasm rule. Uh-huh. And and you had a line in your book where you talk about that, like this idea of no sarcasm. Mm-hmm. And coaches are notorious for sarcasm. Sure. It's the, I find, I used to do it. And then, so I coach a middle school lacrosse team. And this past season was the first time, because this is when I did my webinar, so now I'm more conscious of it, that I would notice, how else do you connect with an eighth grader? Mm-hmm. When you're my age, other than kind of like a jab here and some yeah. sarcasm, and maybe you don't want to come down on them really hard about something they did. And so the way to soften the blow is sarcasm. When I started to realize I was being sarcastic because I didn't have the confidence Mm -hmm. to simply give this young man feedback of this is what you can do better and I'm going to appreciate you and I'm going to love you up. Like that takes confidence Mm -hmm. to lead with that kind of thing. And sarcasm pulls you from that. So because that's what I've had a lot of coaches sarcastically say to me, I love your stuff. It's really good. But like, there's no way I'm gonna get rid of sarcasm because I love sarcasm. That's and when I bring it up in workshops and trainings Mm -hmm. of what this is a sarcasm free zone, people laugh and roll their eyes at that. Mm -hmm. Do you find, you know, corporate, maybe it's not as acceptable to be sarcastic. Um, but is that something in the world of, of positive energy and, and hospitality and customer service? How do you nip sarcasm? It is really hard, especially with the internet when all these memes being created mm-hmm. and you've got people following where all they do is out snark each other like we were right. talking about right. earlier. And so when again you put that in your brain and all you're thinking about is that next snarky comment. So how can I our, you know, you know, snark it? Right. Um, and I was just talking about this in the meeting that I just had, that we as leaders often will be like, oh, God, a hockey group is coming in. Oh, my God. And then say something sarcastic (laughs) about how the moms are always drunk and they're not watching their kids or or something like that. But so, again, we as leaders might be talking like that and our associates overhear it, and they're going to absorb that. And then that's how they're thinking about this guest, and that's how they're going to treat them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, 
uh, you're, you know, sign a party policy here. You better be with your kids. You better not make yeah. noise. You yeah. Better, yeah. I just hit it again. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, if you make friends first, welcome. We're so excited to have your great team. Um, we've reserved the meeting room for you guys to have a teen hangout. Yeah. You know, how do you make friends first? And, and again, you have to be very aware of what you're saying as a leader, um, that your associates aren't absorbing. Well, that goes to your sarcasm. your two your two. To wrap up our review of episode two, Christine shares one of my favorite 50 cups of coffee story, not only for the story itself, but also because Christine was one of the earliest, biggest raving fans of my 50 cups of coffee challenge TEDx talk. She shared it with a lot of her Marriott folks and managers and has implemented it in her trainings, has implemented it in her life. And I was, this was the first time I got to hear this story in terms of how 50 cups of coffee led to to her biggest speaking engagement to date in Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, sharing the stage with a mentor, an idol, and in her words, icon uh, to Christine Trippi. I'm about to deliver my biggest keynote ever, and it's going to be at Caesars Palace Las Vegas. I'm nice. so excited, yeah. and I'm so freaking out. But And not only that, I'm the closing keynote speaker, but the opening keynote speaker is Judy Holler, yeah. which is one of my idols. I love Judy Holler so much. So she is like three to five steps ahead of me in my mm -hmm. career, and mm -hmm. I've been watching her. And as I was launching my book, I saw how she launched her what book. What is her Book her book is called Fear Boss. Fear Boss, yes. Fear Boss. And I, I just love her. So I, like when she did her book launch party, I'm like, oh, I was just going to put it on Amazon and say, hey, it's on Amazon, everybody. Sure. And then I was watching her and I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this big book launch party. And then I like the way she does her posts. So I've kind of modeled a little bit of my posts. And, yeah. you know, so many things. I just keep watching her wow. and, and learning from her. Um, and so I called her or I messaged her and I said, would you consider, do you ever have 10 minutes available? You're sitting at an airport. You'd consider connecting with me. Um, I'm someone kind of just looking out this at you. This was before you guys were both going to be the... Oh, yeah, way this before. Well this is like a year ago. Okay. No, not a year ago because I launched in... It was probably maybe It was June. before your book. Was, no, actually it was in April and she was just launching her book in May. And I said, why don't we do it in June so that you're not so busy? Sure. She's like, that sounds great. So she agreed and we had a coffee chat over the phone. And from there, we started to build a little bit of a relationship, just virtually kind of checking in with each other. And I asked her, I said, you know, it wouldn't be a fair boss if I didn't ask you to maybe yeah. do a testimonial on my book. That's good. <laughs> so she did and she did it on her LinkedIn and Facebook. Wow. Well, the people who were looking to book her to be the opening keynote speaker for this event saw her promote me on her book, on her page. Is that how you got this event? That's how I got this event. Wow. All from a coffee chat. That's awesome. Yes. That I told you I incredible. couldn't wait to tell you the yeah. story. I'm glad I asked this. I I'm know. glad I brought this up. Yeah. And, and literally, that is one of my coolest coffee chat stories. What I love about this story that Christine shared in terms of connecting with Judy Holler and getting on this stage with her is that when Christine reached out, number one, she she made clear that she had read her book and she was was using the language of her book to, to, to make her ask. And she was showing that she's a true fan. And quite frankly, she wasn't really asking for, for anything major. She was asking for her to check out her book, but she wasn't asking to share the stage with her in Las Vegas. She 
is simply looking to connect, which is a core principle of the 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge. Because number one, I think that's the right way to do it. And number two, I also think that's how you get results when you are purely reaching out to people because you genuinely want to connect with them. You genuinely genuinely want to learn from them and, and you are, you're a fan of theirs and you know that you're going to have a natural connection. That's what leads to things. That is what has led to my relationship with Harry and Christine. It's what has led Christine to her relationship with Judy Holler. And, and I'm telling you, anytime I see success with this challenge, it is from this model. This was a great way to wrap up my conversation with Christine Trippi and move into my final conversation of the month with Coach Joe Segula from the University of North Carolina Women's Volleyball, where we get very specific about how he is intentional about creating moments of connection with his players. And I think this is a great way to wrap up this best of February podcast. I went in order in terms of when they were released and it's tremendous how we've gone from really the inspiration of Harry Swain for why you should connect to the the challenge from Christine Trippi to connect with people with a yes is the answer mentality and now really the, the specifics of Joe Segula on how to implement connection into your culture. Scheduling a meeting for 30 minutes or whatever is going to be really a challenge for both the coaches and for the players. So we said, you know what, let's try to have everybody within a two week period stop by the office for five minutes, just five minutes with the intentions like I want you to come by and want to be able to say, how are you doing today? I don't want it to be sports related. Just want to know if, how they're doing. Uh, are classes going well? Is a day going well? What's the difference between saying hello on a Monday versus a Friday? Mm -hmm. There's definitely a difference on a Friday. Yeah. People, their week is over. It's, it's, it's a lot lighter. Um, but on top of that, I wanted to be able to just to say, for five minutes, let's just connect. And that's all. Now, if you choose to stay beyond five minutes and want to make it 10 or 15, we'll engage into a longer conversation or maybe this be a starting point and say, hey, let's come back and meet next week or tomorrow or later and talk more in depth of what's going on with you. So to me, these five minute meetings were a way to get the ball rolling and to break the barriers of the stigma of this meeting, more of us like let's touch base. I have begun sharing Joe's five-minute meetings with the audience that I do workshops or keynotes with or trainings with on building effective cultures, and I believe the power in it comes from the simplicity of simply saying, our, our ask, our, our, what we're requiring of you is that we see you at least for five minutes every two weeks, and maybe you walk in the office and say, hey, I'm popping in for five, my five minutes, I have nothing to talk about, and that's okay. Or maybe you walk in, you say, hey, I'm coming in for my five minutes, and I've got a lot to talk about. And after 10, 15 minutes, coach might say, you know what, Let, I wanna continue this conversation maybe at a later time, or let's set aside time now to have it. But you're creating space for people to come to you and have the conversations that they need to have, acknowledging that your relationship with this individual is beyond volleyball, is beyond your sport, is beyond the duties of your job. Again, going back to a point that Harry made and Christine embodies, you are connecting with human beings and these five minute meetings are hugely important for that. The next couple clips I wanna play are, are Joe talking about 
how he has evolved this idea and and how I want you to pay attention to how intentional and thoughtful he is with creating connection because I think that is the most important thing to take away. You can't always model exactly what someone else does because maybe that works for his team, his campus, his organization, and it might not work exactly for you, but you can absolutely model the intentionality and the thoughtfulness and the prioritizing that goes into connecting with your people. I always knew from the beginning connecting with my players was going to be really important. Um, what happens though, in the middle of a season, and you're busy with so many things, you tend to, so many other things come up, you forget, and players also, their time becomes a high priority, and we don't just never find time. What I think I've evolved to the point is that no matter what, you need to make time. You have to make time, I need to make time, they need to make time, and, be, and no matter what, it's gonna be something of value will come of that meeting even if it's not right that, that second. Um, so I know I, I think I've kind of gone, gone through highs and lows and ebbs and flows throughout my career where I've made the meetings really important and scheduled them. And some, but sometimes these meetings become too long. So I've just realized in this day and age, a short, quick meeting is like a text, you know, we're just touching base. But I like to still do it face to face. Mm -hmm. That's Why is I, that? I just think you get a lot more of a connection, the emotions, and you can read a person, you know, their body language and how they are. And, you know, when they, I have a hard time, you know, understanding what the emotions are in a text. So, and I want to know when you say to me, hey, I'm having a great day, why? Mm -hmm. And I can't get that in a, in a phone call or in a text message. We went into this because we needed to very much connect more with everyone on the team. Mm -hmm. Everybody, because of the because of the fall, because of the newness, the things that didn't go well, and the fact that we tried to encourage communication that didn't go well, we said, you know, we can't just keep saying this. We've got to have a structure, somewhat of a structure, to at least get it started. Mm -hmm. And we figured if it gets started well, then it will become more self-driven, and that's what happened. So then people started. Then it would. We got to the point five minutes, and all of a sudden I'd start to see three or four people every week stop in and it's like, okay, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm stopping in again. It's like, oh yeah, yes you are. And it's like, we started this and yeah. now they became more comfortable doing this. And when they were taking the initiative, it was significantly better. And all we need to do is create a habit. And in the office, we're just real people. We are, and I think it makes them realize that coaches aren't just these authoritative people giving them directions. They're, they're just humans like them, having good days, bad days, and it, we can relate to each other. Mm -hmm. I think that the ability to relate and realize that they have good days, bad days, and I have to be aware of that, and they may be aware of a coach, assistant coach, or head coach having a good day and bad day as well. Another way to facilitate these meetings was, okay, we had the five-minute meetings, and we did that early in the season. Mm -hmm. Then I said, let's take it to another level. Let me go out on their turf. So to make it even more convenient and more about just having a good day, I would leave my office on Monday and Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. and I would go, I'd walk two blocks to the middle of campus where we have our bookstore and there's a cafe there. And I would sit and have a cup of coffee and I would send a text to everybody on the team and say, hey, I'm here. If you're coming by, 
if you want to stop by and say hello, I'm here. And sometimes players would come by and just... So that wasn't part of the mandatory meeting. Not mandatory. Just, I'm here just, if you want to stop by. If you by. want to stop by. And yeah. there were some people who came by every week. There were some players I didn't see any of, ever. But there were some that every now and then would stop in and just say, hey, I'm on my way to class. How's it going? What are you, what are you going to study today? What's going on in school? Maybe they're picking up their cup of coffee as they're going to, mm-hmm. to, to class. But it was a way for me to make it even more convenient for them to say this is not about volleyball or a sport. This is about just saying, hey, we're just going to enjoy the start, of, especially on Monday. I like the Monday because it's the start of the week mm-hmm. and it was early. Now, some people chose to sleep in a little longer as opposed to coming by. I get it. But I want them to be out there and I would be out there for an hour and a half from 830 to 10 and just hang out. And uh, there were some people that it was really made made a difference. Some people, again, it, it, it was there there if they chose to. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I started doing it on Wednesdays. The Mondays were always better, I thought, because of the beginning of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would depend if we're coming back at midnight to Sunday night. <laughs> yeah. So some people may be a little more fatigued. Yeah. But I made that commitment. I also wanted them to know I was committed to connecting with them. Yeah. And I'll do what it's going to take. So that was obviously a series of just really rapid fire quotes that came from my interview with Coach Segula about just why he values connection and how he's continually thinking about it. Again, my hope is that you can take his thoughtfulness, maybe take some ideas that he had, but take his thoughtfulness, his intentionality, and appreciate how he prioritizes connection. And he's an individual I shared in his intro during his episode, who was one of the most successful college volleyball coaches in the country is is in the top 25 of all-time winning coaches in terms of victories and has already been named to the North Carolina State Volleyball Hall of Fame. So this this individual knows how to coach. He knows what he's doing. He has seen success and he values connecting with his players and being vulnerable as a coach and letting his players know that we have good days and bad days as well. In this next series of clips, we get into the power of touch and how coach has yes the the last few clips were how he prioritizes connection off the court and he gets into how he prioritizes connection on the court and I think there's a lot of you out there especially coaches who can take these exact ideas and exact tools I know I have with the middle school team I coach uh, the exact ideas and tools into your world and implement right away starting with your next practice we start every practice now making sure we meet greet everybody on the team so we give a high five you would love this bobby this is in your wheelhouse great we give a high five a cheer just like hey bobby let's have a great day and giving a high five or shake hands or a hug every player has to do it that's how we start practice every day Uh, something we picked up this past year from byu volleyball yeah it was a great because that physical connection, yeah. and there was something about that in the NBA also. I was saying, that you've seen that study, that? the physical touch in the NBA? Yep, physical yeah. touch, same, same concept. Yeah. So our light went off. Oh, you got to move. You got to move getting... around here. <laughs> hey, there it moved. Go. Okay. There we go. Um, um, so, um, so I think that's important. Yeah. And I think it's important. And then we finish every practice with a handshake or a fist bump to say. Every player, co- everyone every, must 
connect in the, some way? With the coaches. Okay. So at the end of the day, we want the players connecting with the coaches. Yeah. And at the beginning of practice, everyone connects with everybody else. Yeah. Now we could, they, they may be giving a high five or connecting with each player at the end, but for us it's more important because we've directed the practice. We want them to say, hey, I'm good. Before I leave, we're good. Yeah. And especially if something during practice didn't go well, I might have a chance of shaking the hands and I'll say, wait, how are we doing? Yeah. And you can tell, I'm okay now. All right, great. Not to leave practice with any anger or being upset. And if they are, can we talk about it in a minute or two so that they leave and feel good about things? Yeah. It's like they say, never go to bed angry. Right. Same kind of concept. We never want them to leave the gym angry. Not We're not perfect, but at least we know, or at least be aware. You know what? Maybe we're going to talk tomorrow. Yeah. Let's let, let, let a little time go by. Let's see how you're feeling tomorrow. What went wrong? What went what went well? Yeah. And so we do this not only in the in the gym where we're training. We do this in the weight room with the strength coaches. We do it if we have a meeting with someone on campus. We want our players to walk up and just to say thanks, and mm-hmm. just so they know that they're engaged. They did it after after our training we together, and well. I remembered yeah. it because yeah, that's it was part of who we feel. Each player came up and said yeah. thank you before they left. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to know to show appreciation, gratitude and just to make a connection because I think it makes a difference. A core value of Coach Segula's in connection is gratitude and appreciation and showing thanks. What I love about Joe is what he's about to talk about is how intentional and specific he is with congratulating his players on a great game and also showing gratitude and appreciation to them, but also everybody involved in his program, everybody from the individuals that clean the gym floor to clean the locker rooms, to provide food, to provide the transportation, to drive them to the game. I mentioned with Christine Trippi, part of why I believe people connect with her so well, even just through the podcast, is because of how genuine she is when she says, I believe I am changing the world one guest at a time, Joe is just as genuine when he talks about his appreciation for the individuals that help his program be successful. This isn't something that he read in a book and decided, oh, you know what, I should go thank the person cleaning the gym floor because that's going to lead to a more effective culture. He probably read that in a book and thought to himself, that is 100% accurate. The person cleaning the floor is leading to our success just as much as anybody else a part of the program, and I'm going to show them that much appreciation and gratitude. And the next few clips are great stories that Joe shares to reinforce that point. Well, one of the things I think that does make a big impression on players is, yeah, we do at the end of a game, you know, pull somebody aside and say, hey, you did a really good job. I think that's important. But I, but I do think the most this new uh, millennial era of of young people, um, when I send them a text, complimenting them, that's even more impactful. Mm-hmm. When they see it written, they they really appreciate that. But I always want to follow it by an in person situation. Are you specific in your compliment? Like when you're sending that text? Is yes. It, yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. just to you, to Bobby Audley yeah. saying. Hey, yeah, Bobby, I thought you've had a really good game today. I really liked what you did, and you did a great job leading us today. Mm-hmm. And I think that then they'll feel like, thank you so much. That means yeah. a lot to me. Yeah, you're paying attention. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we do on a weekly basis is uh, we meet as a staff, and all the people involved with our program, no matter whether it's be from sports information, sports marketing, game operations, um, medical, athletic trainers, 
uh, academics, we meet each week and it's my chance and they help us because our program is more than just the players and the coaches. It's the managers, it's the, all the support personnel, all those people I've just mentioned. But it's a chance for each week to say thank you. Because you know, sometimes you know, the people who are doing game operations, they show up every day, they're working hard, two hours before matches, afterwards, they're doing things. And you know, when you have a win, you, you know, we feel good. I want them to feel good. And I want them to say thank you. I want them to hear the thank you from us, the coaches who get it. You know, it going back to, to even, um, you, we've all heard stories about you know, the custodian in your gym. You know, they're important. They keep the floor ready for us. They, they get the gym ready. The people that help out with us with our locker room, the equipment personnel, they're really important for us. You know, I, I feel like all those people are, in, are service oriented. Their mm -hmm. job, as I tell, when I hire a manager I, I, who works with our team, another student, I say, our job as a coach, as a manager, as an athletic trainer, is to do whatever we can to help the players be at the best so they can just worry about playing. Mm -hmm. We'll do all the other little stuff. Yeah. And, but we need to make sure we are thanking them for doing all that little stuff and know that it gets noticed. Mm -hmm. And when my players, in turn, can walk up to a manager or walk up to our facilities personnel and say, thank you. Thank you for your work today on a Sunday coming in extra in that morning and having the gym ready for us, that means a lot. Because then they feel like they're appreciated. And when you're appreciated, you feel, you feel good about yourself. To take this concept a step further, I asked Coach Segula to talk about how he how he encourages his players to appreciate each other and, and, and as a way to ensure that the core values of the team are lived and not just words on a t-shirt or on a wall. And he gets the players involved in this and, and they're the ones that are, that are appreciating, acknowledging, and celebrating each other for living these. One of the things we did is we broke our core values down. We summarized them into four areas this year, um, which was uh, we are committed to learning. Uh, we respect the program. Um, those are two major ones um, that we feel that they encompass a lot of other things. So we take those core values and this year, we put them on our board before every practice and we point them out there. We asked players, Who's in a good example of this today? And we don't do it every day, but we do it every, every now and then. We might be a, a way to start practice. Maybe the beginning of the week, it might be, we're gonna emphasize this core value. We're looking for reasons to say, who here looks like they are committed to learning? And we say, that's our theme for the week. But- um, The players answer. They, the, the players, players yeah, they'll, they'll say, hey, yeah. I, I like so-and-so. I think she's, she's demonstrated it this week because she did this. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's great. And if they can recognize that that's important, it's much more meaningful. Yeah. But the other thing, you're, you're right, I think core values have to be practiced. Core, they have to be reminded every day. And they change. Mm -hmm. They change every year. And if, if, you know, years ago we had our core values and for a year or so it was good. And then we stopped talking about it. And guess what? The team lost track and we were not who we thought we were. We had got to reestablish ourselves once again. Uh, we had to always redefine every year, every semester, what our core values are. Never assume it's understood mm -hmm. and being a priority to everybody mm -hmm. until you remind them 
all the time. And then when you have the great leaders who live it and the examples of it, then I think you're in a good, you're a good position. Joe and I wrap up our conversation by talking about the true value of sports in regards to personal development and how you balance that when recruiting at, in his case, uh, the highest level of Division I athletics, when you're looking to build not only a successful championship level program, but also a successful culture. You're looking to cultivate an environment that allows success to be sustained. And Joe and I have a wonderful conversation about what's really important in terms of growing a winning culture and how to be specific in your recruiting process to ensure the individuals that you are bringing on have the maybe are at that point of, of just jumping in and being a part of the culture or individuals that you're identifying can grow into that culture. And also Joe talks about when you are in a position where you can take on a player who might be a little bit more challenging to work with, but if your culture is strong enough, you're able to take on that player. When I think about recruiting, a lot of coaches that I think do it really successfully, they hit on what you just hit on in a really cool way. You're not always looking for the exact character traits that you that then become the UNC way, but you are looking for someone who can learn those traits. Exactly. You're looking for someone that can embrace them, yeah. and it's going to help them as an individual. Absolutely. So that's why there certainly are some no's where this person is just... Maybe maybe they will, but I, I, I'm not confident that they're going to embrace the UNC way. Right. We're probably not the place for them. Uh, but that doesn't mean you're looking for someone that already has this stuff because they're young people. Yeah, and absolutely. that's the purpose of sports is to teach yeah. those things. So create an environment where you sure. teach it. You know, how much energy can you put towards helping them? It, I think if you on a team of, of hours like anywhere from 15, 18 players, I don't think you can get more than two or three or four at most where you have to spend a lot of time. But the only time I feel really good about it is again, as I said, is when our culture is really solid. Good leadership, good people, good, good, um, good mature players who are juniors and seniors, as well as leaders who can support and demonstrate what it means to be part of our program. Yeah. And they can help manage the young players because peers are significant in this process. No matter what we do, it's how we teach our older players to be solid citizens and how they then manage their fellow players because they're with them all the time. Why do teams win? Why do teams, why do certain teams win the national championship and other teams not win it? Yet some teams have more physical talent, athletic talent, and other teams overachieve. And we've play, I've played against those teams. It's like, boy, why do they win? And then you just feel like there's, you know, this team, why do we win? I guess the team looks like they've got more physical talent. Well, it comes down to the fact that leaders on the court make a difference. On the field, they make a difference. They can, they can be the difference between winning and losing. They can be the difference between a team's chemistry staying together. The grind of a season from beginning to end it comes down to great leadership. And the question is then, are leaders born? And just you're, you're so lucky to have that happen. And if you have good leaders, you're successful. Or are they taught? Or are they made? And the answer is both. But, but the fact that we can teach leaders to become great leaders. And the first thing you need to do is learn to lead yourself. I think the leaders have to have a relationship with everybody on your team. People aren't just going to follow leaders because, okay, you're the captain. 
It's not going to happen. And in a short amount of time that their people are on campus, they don't get to know everyone. So I think what enhances it is having relationships with everybody on your team, the leaders and the coaching staff, making that connection, which is why we do some of those things and have these short five-minute meetings while we're out there meeting with the people on our team out on campus. Developing a relationship away from your sport and entitles you and gives you the opportunity to communicate with them on the court and be better in your sport. We need to have these personal face-to-face relationships because that's what we do it. We don't coach through a phone app. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are, we're connecting and, and, it's, and it's, our, it's our tone, it's our inflection, it's our attitude of how we go about communicating to a player and how they receive information. So the more we can have that relationship with them, they understand what we want and they understand, we can understand who they are, I think that easier for us to connect because no matter what everybody says, they want to be treated the same. No. They want to be treated fair, Mm -hmm. but everyone is different. Mm -hmm. So the most we can do is say, recognize it. Bobby, you are different than this person and this person. We're going to treat you fair, but we're going to treat you slightly different because you need something slightly different than this player and this player. And the only way to, to, to know that is to have some sort of an understanding relationship with the player. Because Joe shared so many just fantastic and specific tools, his portion of this best of February podcast has been pretty rapid fire. And I hope you're you're taking notes and you're pulling away what he prioritizes, what he does, how intentional he is. I can't say it enough, how thoughtful he is so that you can come up with your own ideas for creating connections on the teams that you lead wherever it might be, in sports, in business, in your family, creating those connections and why it matters. I'm going to wrap up this entire podcast, this entire episode with two final clips from Joe. The first one is a story he shared about what he calls one of his proudest moments as a coach. And I want you to pay attention to what the moment is. Here is a coach that, as I've said, is in the North Carolina Hall of Fame for his success on the court. He is one of the winningest college coaches in Division I volleyball. He has won multiple conference championships. Uh, He's coached for Team USA and won two silver medals. The list goes on. You can go back and look at his resume in his episode or just Google him, and you'll see that he has tremendous accomplishments on the court. And he says one of his proudest moments, and he tells the story of a player who, quite frankly, did nothing related to volleyball. It's how she showed up as an individual. And so I want you to pay attention to that story that Joe shares and think about the value of what all this means in regards to people development. From Harry to Christine to now Joe, they are focused on growing people in their respective fields. And then the last clip I share to wrap this up is I ask Joe a question where he's at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and I say, you have, you for the last 30 years, you've been surrounded by some of the best coaches in sports. What is it you've learned from them? And his answer is is the best answer that he could give. And so I'll let you listen to these last two clips and enjoy the wrap up to our best of February podcast. I remember one year, this is a great story you would like. There was um, uh, probably one of my prouder moments. Uh, There was a young lady who was a sophomore who before she came to our program, she had some ups and downs through her high school. In, um, 
in some of the things, her discipline, her character. And at one point I had to told her while, after I recruited her and offered her a scholarship to come here, I said, you know what, we're gonna rethink that because you're not, you're not living to be the person we thought you were. I said, but you have six months to get your act together. She did, she became, she got it better. Her freshman year, she was still learning. I'll just say that. The next year, the sophomore year, I was at an event and I was talking with a gentleman and she came over to me and said, hey coach. And then she introduced herself. Hi, I'm so-and-so. Put her hand out and shook, shook his hand and looked him in the eye and said, how are you? How's your day going? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> so our conversation finished and she went on with her friends and, and walked away. About an hour later, I caught up with her again. I said, hey, that was really awesome what you did. She goes, what do you mean? You taught me that. I said, I did? She goes, yeah, I mean, this is what you asked us to do. I said, okay, thanks. <laughs> and I was like, wow. So those little things, paid attention. Yeah. Pay, pay, she paid attention to, and probably one of the best success stories ever, but just to see how mature she was, and this is not, two years before that, coming out of high school, she would not have walked up to a person and handled that conversation that same way. And I was just so proud of her. And that was so impactful to me. So you know what? These little things are making a difference. And we're teaching young people how to, to, to be young adults. What I probably have learned is to be myself. Mm. Is I can't be Anson Dorans. I can't be Karen Shelton, Jenny Levy, Joe Bresci, Mac Brown, Roy Williams. I can't be them. But I can take parts of what they do really well and maybe incorporate into who I am as a, as a coach, as an educator. Um, I learned this a long time ago when I was in college and trying to study art. And I studied all the masters. And I used to say to my, my professor, my mentor, it's like, well, when am I gonna develop my style? He said, don't worry about that. Just keep practicing, follow, Rembrandt, Matisse, Cezanne, whatever it might be. About three years later of doing this, I turned to him and I looked at a painting and I said, I have a style. <laughs> it evolved. He goes, of course you do. But when I stopped worrying about trying to be like these other people and just practice and tried to learn from them, I evolved. Thank you for listening to episode four of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. Again, I am your host, Bobby Audley. If this best of February format was helpful to you, please let me know. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Shoot me a text if you have my number. Your comments, your thoughts, your, your opinions, your feedback has been truly helpful to me as I continue to, to get better and be myself in this podcast journey and create the, the best podcast experience for you that I can create. This 50 cups of coffee idea has been life-changing for me since 2014 when I really fully committed to it. The TEDx talk in 2016 took it to another level and allowed me to share it with more and more people. And this podcast has just been a joy to let you listen in on the conversations that I get to have as a result of committing to connecting with others. And my hope is that you're able to take away the tools and, and the ideas 
ideas and the strategies and apply it to your world, whether you're coaching sports at the youth level, at the high school level, at the professional level, whether you're leading teams in the corporate and business world, whether you're looking to just apply this stuff to your, your own family or your own social connections, my goal is that you can learn from the individuals that we have on the show. To start this whole journey of podcasting, I dedicated the entire show to Kobe Bryant because of the impact that just his playing days and the way his life had on me and and the stories that have come out since his tragic death and the death of his child that, that just talk about how he connected with so many people. And I think this best of episode was a great way to honor his legacy and share why I'm dedicating this to his legacy. Because as Joe shared there at the very end of his episode, you know, one of his prouder moments was not of a particular play that one of his volleyball players had. It wasn't of winning a particular championship or putting another notch on his resume. One of his prouder moments was an individual who came into his program and evolved and grew and developed into someone that walks up to someone, shakes their hand, and asks about their day. That is one of his prouder moments. That is the purpose of sport. That is the purpose of people development in what any capacity you do it. That's why someone like Harry Swain is so dedicated to this for his entire career. That's why someone like Christine Trippi genuinely believes she is changing the world one employee at a time, one guest at a time. And that's why Joe is so passionate about culture and connection and being intentional about it because it goes so much further beyond wins and losses, so much beyond uh, a bottom line. It is simply the way to do things, to connect with people and to create a culture of doing so. So so thank you for, for listening to this episode. Thank you if, if you've been listening to every episode so far. We will drop a new interview on March 2nd and kick off March with our three interviews with the plan of doing another best of March episode at the end of that month. If you have not left a rating or review, please do so. If you're interested in learning more about the work that Ryan and I do with the Pinot Training Group, if you're interested in coming and checking us out at our April training in Michigan, please go over to PinotTrainingGroup.com, P-E-N-N-E-A-U, TrainingGroup.com. Fill out the contact form, shoot us an email, connect with me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and, and simply uh, share, share how we can continue to serve 